This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasuf here, and we're back with another episode of Kicking Back. We we're on a short hiatus for various reasons, but we're here again. Weekly episodes of Kicking Back, bringing you awesome chats with personalities across the women's soccer world. We've had players, we've had coaches, we've had administrators. This week, Leslie Gallimore, the new commissioner of the Girls Academy League, the GA, which has replaced the DA, the Development Academy, which U.S. Soccer shuttered earlier this year. It's, it's a new girls' youth set up youth league nationwide in the United States. Uh, Leslie was head coach of University of Washington women's program for 26 years. She's done a lot in the coaching space beyond that. United Soccer Coaches president recently and really great chat here with her on what the Girls Academy is, why it's different and and really much more uh, wider, a much wider chat here on uh, the youth game at large, the different divisions and and opportunities within it and even how the professional game fits in and and a common theme to all of that that she says throughout the episode here that I think is is uh, both basic but you know something that really still needs to happen um, as, as the women's game develops so really exciting chat with her coming up here as ever please go ahead and rate review and subscribe to this podcast the more you do that the more visibility it has and visibility is what's needed in women's soccer it's it's more media coverage um, and the more you do that the more people who can discover it and listen to it just like you so looking forward to this please go ahead and enjoy this and uh, looking forward to bringing you more regular episodes of kicking back once again in the future Jeff Kasuf here on the latest Kicking Back podcast. We're back on Kicking Back. We took a little hiatus for for many of reasons on the, the personal front, I guess. Um, and excited to be here with Leslie Galmore, who I think many of you in the soccer world know. Uh, Leslie, I guess I can go through the spiel of a resume in a, a little bit, but uh, the most recent and pertinent thing, uh, the commissioner, the first commissioner of the, the Girls Academy League. So, uh, Kamish, how's that sound to you? Yeah, funny. I tell people all the time it's hilarious, and uh, I everyone's like, "Oh, you're gonna change your Twitter handle?" And uh, you know, I will always, at heart, and till the day I die, consider myself a coach. So I'm I'm gonna stick with Coach Gallimore. Um, but commission is just something that I can get teased about by my friends. So it's <laughs> I'm growing into it. Yeah. yeah. So. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm sure that I'm sure the coaching hat is still on when you're uh, maybe out and about at games or whatnot. Yeah, well, when we can get out and about, right, it, yeah, yeah, not not in my area. Um, coach, coaching, educator, commissioner, whatever, all yeah. all, all around, you know. Yeah, uh, wearing hats, whichever hat I need to wear. But the commissioner job is obviously uh, my priority right now and the most pertinent thing. And I'm excited to talk about the league and mm-hmm. um, kind of where we are and where we see us going. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you having me, Jeff. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I know we've done. Uh, we did. We had you on the main pod. 
two two conventions ago. It feels like you know oh, yeah. many many oh. moons ago from uh, this what this year has been. But uh, you you spent. I mean, for for our listeners, maybe um, the the quick, the long and short of it. Uh, Twenty six seasons as head coach at University of Washington. Um, a recent past president of United Soccer Coaches, um, which is um, I don't know if everybody knows how big of a deal kind of USC or previously NSCAA is, but that's, you know, a really important role um, for those listening. Um, and now commissioner of, of the girls Academy and the GA really rose uh, in many ways from the, the ashes here of the DA, which kind of abruptly ended this earlier this year, us soccer shuttering that after 13 years on the boys side, three on the girls. Um, and if you want to read more, if you're listening, I've written a little bit about this spoke with Wes Shevers, I think before you were officially announced, um, just a little bit about um, where the GA is going. And, and obviously we'll expand upon that here. So um, Leslie, how did you get involved and what brought you into this role? Why did you want to be involved? Yeah. You know, I don't know that I did want to be involved. <laughs> Sometimes there's a, you just, there's a, you have a little bit of a calling and, and kind of what, you know, it, it, it's like probably everyone's life right now. There have been several sort of, um, I wouldn't say perfect storms, but definitely storms that have led uh, to decision making. And so for me, after 26 seasons at the University of Washington and, uh, you know, having been a native Californian the first half of my life and then only having lived in Seattle the last 26, um, this is home for me. Uh, and so when um, my last year at Washington, I was fully focused on doing the best job I could there and trying to go out on a, on a high note. And I feel like we did um, the best we could. And I felt good about December 31st rolling around and kind of rolling into the next chapter of my life. There were several things between, I was doing coaching education and still I'm doing coaching education with U.S. soccer. And I was in the midst of two different A licenses, A senior licenses, and uh, some other things were rolling my way. Uh, coaching jobs, uh, you know, uh, admin jobs, uh, leadership positions in the game. So all, all of these things were starting to come across my desk, so to speak. And I wasn't really thinking about them. I, I wanted to take time. I needed time. I was, um, you know, 34 years as a, a division one head coach, four of those, you know, 38, if you count my playing career at Cal, um, that's all I, I'd done and known, um, you know, for so long. In addition to the other things I dipped my toes in uh, during my coaching career at Washington, but I, I was just, I needed a, uh, to step back and take a breather. Well, in the middle of my third month of a, an A license, uh, the pandemic hit. I'd just gotten back from the Dominican Republic doing some consulting work for CONCACAF, who I also work with in coaching education and women's empowerment uh, with CONCACAF W. And I'd just gotten back from the U20 qualifiers in, in Santa Domingo and, uh, and was also leaving IMG in, in the middle of uh, an A license. And I got home in March and had some time to think, you know, and what I'd been watching um, was over the years in general was sort of the fracturing of youth soccer and as a recruiter and someone that has obviously followed the girls and women's game at all levels and been involved at all levels. Uh, it was starting to get a little bit disturbing. College soccer was starting to get a little bit disturbing as far as the, the direction it was going, the sort of the intention and purpose behind it, the early recruiting, I mean, all the things and ills that you hear, not everything bad, but just some things that if you've been around the game as long as I have that I thought had taken a turn for the worst that weren't really helping the development of the players in this country. Um, and again, not all, but some. And so 
when April 15th hit and I had kind of heard rumblings, um, a lot of people working in the DA had not heard rumblings. If I don't, you know, when you interviewed Wes, I don't know what he said, but I do know there's a lot of people that uh, were in the DA that sit on our board um, and academy directors that are still a part of our league now uh, who were 100% taken aback uh, by the abruptness of the DA being dropped. And one of those people was my longtime associate head coach, Amy Griffin, who uh, knew we were going into our last season at Washington and was also going to leave. So she took the academy director job with O.L. Reign while we were in France, actually, <laughs> ironically enough. Uh, and so she'd already been working with that academy for almost a year. And um, so I got the up close and personal view of what that looked like um, to have the rug kind of pulled out from under you. And uh, the... <laughs> the nastiness of youth soccer and the sort of just the negative parts of youth soccer really reared their head during a pandemic when kids were not seeing their teams, not um, being able to be with their coaches and their friends, not practicing, not playing the sport they loved and being uh, pressured into leaving clubs. And, you know, that happens anyway in the landscape in youth soccer. And, you know, it's kind of that dog eat dog fight of fighting for players and, um, you know, promising things that are either real or unreal, <laughs> whatever. Um, and so I watched it firsthand and I was, um, a little bit disgusted to be honest <laughs> would be the best word I could use. And I had a lot of free time on my hands to, you know, just kind of have my own opinions to myself, I was thinking. Uh, and and so I, I sort of watched this, and then I watched this group of people um, salvage a playing experience for 7,000 kids um, voluntarily, you know, and obviously with a vested interest in trying to keep their own clubs afloat, um, not wanted by other leagues, um, with nowhere to go because the competitiveness of the market, either they wanted their teams just to be swallowed by other leagues or uh, just fold. Um, again, in the midst of a pandemic when kids aren't playing yet, uh, you know, people are trying to engage their membership and make sure that the fees that they're paying are going somewhere, even though they're not on the soccer field and trying to find different ways to help develop their clubs. And so I was impressed by this group from April, May, June. So probably three months I watched. And in that time, you know, when June rolled around and the rest of the world started to open up and other states started to open up more than things were opening up here in Seattle, I had a lot of time to think about my own personal life. And I'd entertained some uh, two jobs, one international, and one domestic that would have had me coaching still, but moving. Uh, I, uh, you know, so I had to put a lot of thought to that. I feel as though I wasn't at that point rested enough to put my full energy into a team and I wasn't ready yet to pick up from home and leave um, to move internationally. I have a, an 81 year old mother now, she works full time still, but she lives in Southern California. But to, to leave the country, I have an aunt that is my mom's, was her last living younger sister who um, passed away from cancer in July. And so she was here and ill. So there was a lot of personal things that were just keeping me home. And, uh, probably more seriously towards the middle of June, this commissioner position popped up and I had zero inkling to do it. I had zero. And then for whatever reason, the more I started thinking about it and watching what was going on, 
I'd always said to myself that whatever I did next, I wanted to feel like I could have a positive impact on the women's game in this country. It it was a must for me. It was a non-negotiable in whatever I did next. And this certainly had that calling based on what I was seeing. And so I interviewed and in a short period of time, they wanted me to start July 1st. I said, I have too many irons in the fire. I'm not ready. Can I please start August 1st? Um, it didn't mean that I wasn't on board calls in July. It didn't mean that I wasn't actually working. I just, you know, the guilt of taking uh, any kind of salary and, and not being able to sort of give my full attention to it yet was sort of my own way of feeling okay about it. Um, but I was helping. Um, and so on August 1st, I, I started full bore and now we're, we're coming up on October 1st. I'm a month and a half in and um, it's been an awesome challenge, an exciting challenge. It will be a challenge every day. I can, I can tell you that. Um, all in a good way, because I do think that um, I do think there are positive strides to be had in the girls and the women's game in this country still, and it'll be fun for me to be a part of something at the youth level where I can have an effect. Mm-hmm. And you alluded to uh, you know previously past um, certainly three years since the the development academy U.S. soccer started on the girls' side, um, there was that that tension between the ECNL and the, and the development academy. I think you know it's been written about quite a bit talked about, um, you know, maybe depended on who you spoke with about what it really kind of looked like, but, um, you know, GA, I guess the GA in some ways, um, I guess structurally, you know, there's 67 clubs, almost 70 clubs, 300 teams. Um, a lot of them have come over from the DA. So in that sense, you know, I guess if you just looked at like a map, it looks, you know, DA like obviously is not, the same thing, but um, I guess, you know, maybe walk me through what, what's different. What is, um, you know, where does the GA, the girls Academy fit in that wider landscape? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say just, you know, my intention personally all along is to see a, a more of a unification in this country of just what we're working towards for elite girls um, in soccer. And um, without having one league under one umbrella, if that happens separately, it happens separately and it can happen in two different ways. And in our model and in our way, um, you know, almost everything as far as uh, standards set by the things that that the GA board loved about the DA, they kept and the things that were sticking points, um, substitutions, high school soccer were the biggest changes. And this all happened before I came on board. And I do think those were, um, you know, logistically good moves and and, and moves that, that I think to um, retain clubs, retain players, and give them every opportunity to have a choice in their playing pathway uh, was a smart thing to do and to be able to utilize a roster in a way that still is positive and doesn't, um, you know, thwart their development or put them in a, in a, in a bad playing environment. Um, so with that said, I think the uniqueness that, that I see is an all-girls platform where the players have a say. And where we formed an advisory panel of young women starting from the conference leaders and the reps that were selected um, and then their club reps down to team reps that have a little bit less of a role but they are led by um, their peers so to speak their older peers and those peers are also led by uh, a group of adult leaders who are outstanding and volunteering their time to earlier than I think most girls have the ability to be put into leadership roles and also see what leadership can look like. Um, it's not just a hashtag. It's not just a, a, you know, something that we say that we're going to empower. We're going, they're doing things. They're actually, there's a structure, there's, um, there's agendas, there's, you know, a, a lot of different forms and ways that we are able to determine 
what it is these girls actually want. And if you pull them, the biggest thing they've ever wanted is to be, <laughs> be able to have a say in their own playing career and their own pathway as a youth player. We all know that in this country that um, a college scholarship, typically a division one college scholarship and playing on a youth national team or making a youth national team roster and hopefully playing on our full national team at some point in time are the biggest carrots that are out there for girls. My personal opinion and what I hope is, is going to long-term be what happens in our league and what we show these girls at a young age and what I was able to experience myself um, is that soccer and this game can give you so much more than just those two carrots. And I don't think they're shown that. I think the vision of what they can be has been very short-sighted for girls. Uh, you are not at your best by a long shot at 21 or 22 or 26 now if you're a COVID college player. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, and, and making the national team, it, it's a percentage that's just so minute that shouldn't stop being someone's dream. But being on a youth national team also, it, it can be a great experience, but it's not the end all be all. The, the larger thing it leads to is being great for your club and being great for your country if you're fortunate enough. And if you're not fortunate enough, what else does it mean? It should mean in this country being able to be a professional, either domestically or abroad, and paid a wage that you can make a living being a professional soccer player. That's one side of it. The other side of it to me are all of the other things that have typically been modeled by males, which is coaching, <laughs> commissioning, <laughs> uh, being a general manager, being a director of operations, working in the MLS, working in the NWSL as a professional, um, being a, a litigator and a sports agent for players. You don't see women primarily in those roles. Girls, it's not modeled to them. They don't think that's something they can do. They think they hang up their boots and soccer goes away. Maybe they're a season ticket holder for a pro team and they go to games as a fan for the rest of their life. Um, perhaps they think being an official is something that's appealing uh, at a high level and, or even at a, at a youth level or, or coaching their kids when they, I mean, just their involvement in the game is something that's permanent and lifelong, not this flash in the pan that ends um, with college soccer and either your invite or your non-invite to a youth national team or a national team camp. And um, we're here to broaden that vision and to make it real for them at a young age that they see it. And it's a, it, that's the passion for me. And that's where I think over time I can have an impact. I see. And the, the player advisory panel was something that, you know, I think really did stand out. And um, certainly in the past, all the things that you say and that you've seen uh, much more for much longer, you know, firsthand, as you said, at, at UW and in other, you know, in other roles um, that, that didn't really exist in terms of, um, you know, you, you had, there was whatever the pathway, whatever the letters were, if it was DA, you know, ECNL previously, uh, you know, well, ODP still exists, but, you know, whatever the, the letters were, that was kind of the, the way to go. And you, you tried to do it and you, you made it or you didn't. But um, I, I think, you know, the other thing that you touched on that I, I really wanted to, to talk to you about um, along the lines of players taking ownership of their careers, um, it is still for the select few, obviously, to 
to go pro uh, period really, but, but certainly to go pro early. Um, there, there's all of the conversation that, you know, I think most people know of the value of a, a four year full ride scholarship, for example, and, and that coming with a degree and the NWSL minimum salary still being 20,000. And even that, you know, compared to some other leagues is good, you know, internationally. So, um, we're seeing some talk that there's a homegrown rule for the NWSL, not that far away. Um, but even more conceptually, you know, what do you see that there's NWSL clubs in the girls Academy? Oh, rain you mentioned is, is one of them, Houston dash, um, a couple others. And, um, I'm curious what you see the relationship or what you'd like to see it be between the NWSL, the pro game and maybe youth soccer at large, but certainly the girls Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's just the natural partnership, right, is that you you want to be able, um, listen, you know, <laughs> what people, a lot of people that know me know about me is I have three brothers, two older brothers and a younger brother, and I have a son. And um, so I just have always my entire life, I just want what the boys have. <laughs> and I was able to be on the MLS Next launch um, for the players as a guest. And uh, I've been in conversations um, with some of, well, and a lot of my good friends are MLS Academy directors. And I am a Sounders and a Rain season ticket holder. I sit in the front row at Sounders games. Ziggy Schmidt is someone I grew up with um, who was uh, a huge part of my life um, as a mentor, as a colleague, as a confidant. Um, you know, I, I, you know, on the men's side, I, I, I I know a lot, I'm connected with a lot of people. Um, I've had conversations over time with all of the commissioners of the NWSL from the, from the get-go with all three leagues. I've had an attachment either with players playing in the leagues or discussions with coaches or um, the, just trying to figure out how we can make this go in this country. I've had limited conversations with Lisa Baird just a, um, only in that if you look at the, the world right now on the women's side in our country is that she was a new commissioner hired during COVID. <laughs> we got a new GM and a new national team coach and a new president of the Federation during COVID. <laughs> so uh, giving people, I'm a new commissioner of a new league, <laughs> uh, giving people their time and space to get their own house in order has been um, a little bit of a priority with, of mine without pushing uh, the NWSL, you know, the, the, the NWSL Challenge Cup was a great success. And now even watching the MLS and the NWSL trying to continue their seasons in a way that makes sense for the, the environment right now um, is something I'm watching closely and also not trying to be this pushy person that wants something from them um, when they don't have time and we're not the priority. Clearly, the long-term vision is to find a way for there to be that pathway. Um, you know, Bill Predmore is a great example to me um, someone that I've known since he and his wife, Teresa, came into this league. I worked as an announcer in the early days uh, for the rain. Uh, and, you know, I know how heart-wrenching it was for he and Teresa to sell to OL as a personal um, sort of just <laughs> baby to them, honestly. You know, with a couple with four kids saying that OL was – that, that the rain were, was one of their fifth – was basically their fifth child. Um, I know firsthand that it was. But I also know uh, from a business sense standpoint and ownership standpoint that Bill's vi vision is bigger than his own club and his own invested interest. And to sell to a club like OL was absolutely brilliant, in my opinion. 
um, now COVID and, and all the other things surrounding it um, that could have made it great right off the bat has, has been a challenge. I mean, even just, you know, I, every weekend I'm like, okay, ready to play NWSL starting up again. Oh, fires. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thorns postponed, canceled, postponed, pushed out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all of that. And you have to have empathy for people right now. It's just everyone trying to keep everything afloat. Mm -hmm. You know, I live in a market where the Sounders sell out a football stadium and where the money just has to be, you know, and Don Garber is also someone I admire greatly who has kept that league um, and, and just, you know, owners are owners and just to try to keep everybody going the same direction and 25 years into that league and watching the positivity of it. Um, it's just right now watch, hard to watch everyone struggle in our game. So to be so self-centered to think that we should be at the forefront of everyone's thought process, I've tried to, um, you know, forge relationships, but also show patience. And that's the thing I think that the youth girls soccer market doesn't have is patience and everyone wants everything they want when they want it. And I think that lacks vision. I think it lacks caring. I think it lacks um, what our game needs, which is, um, the, all of those things. We, we need caring and we need patience to build it the right way um, and to take what the DA had, change it, evolve it into something that can be better. And to me, that involves the professional game in one way or another. I want what the boys want. <laughs> I want homegrown players. I want either, I want uh, players that aspire to be elite college players to have the option to leave early and be able to go make a living wage either here or abroad and to continue to get their education, obviously. I'm a huge proponent of college soccer. You know, Jamie Clark at Washington is a good friend of mine, and, you know, he's produced some great players out of that program, like many other college programs, and some of the, the guys that I have that are college coaches that are in my A senior license. Bobby Muse at Wake Forest, Brian Plotkin's an assistant at Notre Dame. You know, we talk about these things, and, and where does college soccer fit on the men's side? It's a shame that it's the attrition of men's programs has looked like it's looked because they've produced a lot of great players for this country and a lot of great coaches, by the way. Um, so to, to say there's only one pathway, all you had to do was be on the MLS next launch and see people like Jordan Morris, who went to and stayed at Stanford for four years. There's guys in the Sounders like Christian Roldan. Little known he was. I mean, he didn't get recruited by that many people and then came to Washington and now He's not necessarily a homegrown because he wasn't in the Sounders Academy, but he's a hometown hero here and both on the U.S. national team. And some of the other players that did leave early and went and played in Europe and came back. Um, I want I want what the boys have. <laughs> yeah. I've wanted that my whole life. And so it, it's just to me, it's it's what you should be asking if, if you truly have a passion for girls and women's soccer in this country. Um, it, it's it, and, and, you know, you just have to look at it and think, like, why don't we? How can we? And let's get to work on that. And I think there is a way. And right now is the time to do it based mm -hmm. on everything you're seeing. Um, you know, when our own players are suing our own federation, uh, when you go to France and I was there for the entire month. Um, when you go to France and you are around different cultures, when you work in CONCACAF and you see what's going on in the island countries, when you uh, are a part, uh, you know, uh, someone that helps with some of the human rights things that are going on around the world when it comes to women footballers. And you just, you just watch what people are doing and how much the game has grown globally and had some of the same growing pains and problems and ills that men's soccer has. But you know what? We want to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> where, it, where it's that big of a deal. And I'm telling you, there, it is that big of a deal in other parts of the world. And it's, it's, it's really 
gaining traction. And so I think if we are short-sighted in this country as to what we've kind of always known and always done, we're doing our girls a disservice and we're going to, we're going to lose out in the long run. Well, to, to that point, I, you know, I always appreciate that, that you're a realist about things. And I, you know, I want to ask kind of what you see um, maybe the, the short version of it is probably something you could talk about for a long time, but you know, the state of the U S youth on the, on the women's side, young women's side of, uh, the international level, the U.S. youth international level compared to, um, I think we've seen uh, a lot of the narrative world is catching up. You know, you can look at France and say, well, yes, um, if France World Cup last year and say, you know, seven of eight quarterfinalists are European. So there's obviously progress there. But once again, the champions, the U.S. So I think at the senior level, I don't know that we've necessarily seen that um, gap close per se, just there's more challengers maybe. But at the youth level, um, at least results wide, results wise there's been a clear um direction of late on on a youth international level at world cups and otherwise that uh the u.s is is really not the favorite all the time or or much at these youth world cups anymore so where do you see that Uh, i guess the uh abbreviated version of kind of maybe how to fix if there is something to fix yeah um have my answers not been abbreviated enough? <laughs> no, no, we can go all day. I'm happy. To. <laughs> I'll try to shorten it up. But no, there is no abbreviated answer yeah. to that. And what you actually won't hear me say is the world's, the world's caught us. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that says that out loud and doesn't realize what they're saying, that, okay, we have back-to-back World Cup trophies and, um, you know, our players in this country are sought out all over the world to come and play in their leagues. We go and make other people better. The world is evolving on the women's side and getting better on the women's side because of the U.S. Um, and from the 80s on, I mean, we've been the beacon, you know, uh, for, for, the, for the women's game. And so the thing that, um, if you look at it, the thing that has uh, helped others progress internationally at, a, at sort of a different level and what you're seeing in youth national teams is probably the college game, not as a deterrent, but again, it goes back to that thing that that's the carrot for our girls don't see the other carrot. They don't see the bigger picture. They don't um, understand that when they go and play in a U20 World Cup or they go and play in a U17 World Cup, that the women starting on the Japanese team or on the Spanish team have played 60 games with older women <laughs> or, or, or older girls. They've played out of their age group. Their, their year calendar looks different than any kind of U.S. soccer training camp uh, regime could replicate. It just does. And, and even when you have um, top colleges playing, you know, say your U20s or freshmen or sophomores in college, and they are playing with older women at a high level, uh, then you look at the NC2A and the restriction on rules and the amount of time you can train. And then you look at the power fives and what their restrictions are with some of the, the hourly rules and where college soccer is gone. And it just causes this disparity in what the elite player is getting. And to try to control that in this country will always cause mayhem <laughs> because it goes back to everyone what wants what they want. And very seldomly are people looking at what the player wants or what the player needs. And so to me, it's where the biggest shift has to happen. And it doesn't mean every, anyone gets excluded. It means um, we become more cooperative. We become more inclusive. We paint a bigger picture. We show girls they have a pathway and then they have a choice in their own development and where they get if that's where they want to get. Mm-hmm. Well, some, yeah, 
some some really interesting stuff, obviously, and and um, I think we could. There's a lot to kind of digest on the the youth uh, topic and and the youth level, um, which will continue to play out. Obviously, um, I want to ask you real real quick before we go. Um, you mentioned a lot of the other things that you are involved in coaching education and, and advancing. Um, you know, even to the point of the players advisory panel, you mentioned of other roles beyond just maybe becoming a pro player for, for girls to see mm-hmm. at a young age. Um, can you talk about some of what, what you're working on, on, on that front and maybe what um, you hope to see on a, you know, more women in coaching, you know, for example? Oh, the age old question. Why? Aren't <laughs> yeah. And I think that's because they don't see it as a pathway um, when they're younger. And I don't think we have done um, a whole, maybe one or two generations worth of, women and girl uh, potential coaches in this country. Uh, we haven't done them, we've done them a disservice by throwing them into coaching without enough training. And, and it's, you know, just proven fact that women will be um, fired, <laughs> dismissed, quit on their own uh, if they fail and not come back. Whereas guys will continue to, you know, forge ahead, get another job, try again, get hired, Etc. Um, so trying to break that cycle is uh, is something that I feel really responsible that I haven't ha- had even more like impact in up to this point. So uh, you know the the she champions mentorship program is starting with U.S. Soccer. Jill Ellis raised uh, they raised quite a bit of money to put into the, this program, and there's a, a group of mentees that are be, uh, pa- uh, paired with mentors. I got my mentee yesterday. So I'm formally, it's a formal mentorship program that ends at the She Believes Cup, knock on wood in February. And, and so I think that's great, but I've always uh, made myself available to informally mentor young women. Uh, and, and so many of my dear friends and colleagues have done the same. And again, you know, not just women, but male coaches in the women's game have, uh, have, you know, you look at their coaching trees and you can find those people that, oh, that came from that person that came, this is someone connected to him or to her. And that just has to happen with players when they're younger. Um, You know, in our league, we will, you know, there will be a lot of different initiatives. Again, Jeff, long-term, patient, time, when when we can register players and get back out on the field playing (laughs) and retain our current clubs and expand our league into markets where we maybe aren't yet. Um, you know, as soon as we, we can get ourselves, uh, to a, a point of stability and, um, you know, moving forward in the, in, in the game with, uh, you know, any kind of normalcy, um, some of the initiatives that we have around this are what I'm extremely excited about. And fortunately for me personally, and for the league, I have a lot of knowledge in and a lot of experience and a lot of connections, um, as to how that would look and how I think it would really, uh, take root and grow. Uh, so it, I mean, it's it's that passion that I have that I think um, makes this job that exciting for me. It's, you know, registering kids and figuring out who's sanctioned and who's insured and where the next showcase is going to be. And if we're going to feed the college coaches, of course, important, you know, how, what our social media looks like, what the hashtags look like, what the old, you know, internet game looks like when you're competing um, is, is it, ha- it, you know, it's a must. But what really excites me is, um, is the other stuff I've been talking about that I think that can have long-term benefits to girls' soccer, uh, not just in this country, but if we're going to be world leaders, I think it could have global impact. And, and I guess we should acknowledge, I mean, maybe I've tried to put this back of mind, but the obvious that you're navigating this um, amid 
the COVID-19 pandemic continuing. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you know, um, trying yeah. to, yeah. trying to make a season happen. Exactly. And we're three weeks into league play and the West has been hit the hardest, obviously our Southwest conference and our Northwest conference are, um, you know, plan, they have planned, everyone's been great plans, A, B, and C to get out of the gates and doing more regionalized events and consulting with uh, the medical community to make sure that all of our return to play and our protocols are appropriate. We don't want to put kids in harm's way. Um, but people have been working overtime for coming up on six or seven months now to keep their kids engaged, to make sure that their mental health is um, taken care of as much as their physical health and that uh, we understand the importance of camaraderie and, and, you know, teammates to each other in, in this and in, in the adult coaches and people in their lives and making sure that they can have a good experience. So trying to, trying to do all of this is uh, it's, it's been a major undertaking, but it's been a fun one. It's a challenge every day. And I, uh, I just, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, just for the players that even in, in the next six months that they can start to see, um, the bigger vision and the bigger picture, because there's a lot of things I think that we're going to be able to put in place that will be unique to them. And I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. And I just, I, I mean it when I say it, I, I, I just, I've always wanted it and I want it now. I want what the boys have yeah. or even a better version. So if we keep <laughs> working towards that someday, I'm a firm believer it'll happen. Yeah. Well, looking forward to that and, and to, to what's ahead. So, um, yeah. I'm sure you're, you're quite busy. I appreciate you taking the time. Leslie Galmore, commissioner of girls Academy. Jeff Kusuf, the new dad. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> that is, that is, by the way, Jeff, that is the great equalizer right there. There you go. Yeah. Fatherhood. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you look yeah. more rested than I thought you would. So good job. Uh, yeah. I guess that I, I have a way of fooling people. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. You've been listening to Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest.